0: Welcome to Metro Charities' podcast series on equality. I'm Adam Tipping, Digital Communications Officer at Metro. To mark this year's Trans Awareness Week, I sat down with gender diverse colleagues to discuss our own experiences of our own gender and our hopes for equality for all of our communities. Please join us in reflecting on the progress and barriers as we recognise and celebrate this important week. your loose chair person for today. Um, my name is Adam, uh, I use the pronouns he, they, uh, and I work here as, at Metro Charity as our digital communications officer and as an LGBTQ youth worker. I'm gonna pass over to, oh, go on Joel.
1: Hi there, my name's Joel. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm the director of services at Metro. I'm gonna pass over to Em.
2: <laughs> hey, uh, I'm M's. I use he, they pronouns. And I am the Greenwich LGBTQ youth and schools lead. So I do a mix of youth work and also training schools and other professionals on how to be more inclusive for LGBTQ folk.
0: And you're very busy, it has to be said. Very, very busy, very busy. (laughs) Oh, we all are. We're all very busy, aren't we? I mean,
2: (laughs) not too busy to do this podcast, though. This is it. It's
0: important to talk about this kind of stuff.
2: And we're all still smiling. We are.
0: (laughs) So I think it'd be really nice to start off by talking about. our own personal experiences and uh, us coming to terms with our own gender identity, perhaps, and what that's looked like for us. um, I don't mind starting off. Um, I think with my gender identity, it's something I've only allowed myself to explore very recently. And I think it's something I was very scared to do. And it's something I've always known was there um, and kind of suppressed. From a young age, I was like, "Yeah, I know I'm gay. I'm a gay man. Mm. That's all I am. I get it. I'm confident with it. I own that." And I think, for a long time, I knew there was more to it, but I let my own inner saboteur or (laughs) demon uh, hide that side of myself away. Uh, And I think that's to do with shame a lot of the time, with my upbringing, with like where I was from in a very rural area. It was very masculine like portrayals um, and you have to be like this. If you're a man, you have to be like that. Mm-hmm. And I was always told that femininity wasn't um, appropriate or shouldn't be celebrated. And that goes with my career as well. I was always t- told you won't get a job if you're too feminine, you won't succeed. Um, so I didn't allow myself to explore that. And it wasn't until the pandemic hit, that I allowed myself to dip my toe into that a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think going to things like trans pride for the first time in London, I think really opened my eyes to be like, I really resonate with a lot of what this, what people are saying. Um, and that in itself is a whole confusing kettle of fish. Yeah, <laughs> Cause I was like, am, am I that? Is this the right word for me? Am I non-binary? Am I trans? Am I genderqueer? Am I, I don't know what I want to do. What, what do I identify as? I don't get it. Um, because I was so sure of myself for so long. And then, yeah, 28 years into my life, I was like, oh, God, there's a whole new level to me that I didn't challenge or accept until now. And it's like rediscovering myself all over Mm -hmm. again. It's like coming out all over again, or it feels like that to a degree. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think being in that affirming space at Trans Pride and seeing people be so fearlessly themselves and, be so activist driven and so vocal and taking up so much space really inspired me to start doing that more in my own life through little steps by talking to people about it, like you two and doing this podcast and being honest uh, about how I identify. Um, But I think it's a very much an ongoing journey still it's still a very difficult journey yeah um and one that I find very confusing most days Mm. (laughs) Mm. I don't know about anybody else does anybody else find it very challenging and confusing every day still
2: oh yeah absolutely I think I don't know about you but like with you've always kind of had this awareness but it feels like fairly recently where you started kind of accepting yourself and Mm. being out and stuff and It's so much to navigate. It's very, very different knowing who you are and keeping it to yourself, Mm. knowing who you are and deciding to like give yourself the acceptance to be that in front Mm. of other people Um, and navigating like, yeah, everyone else's responses and everything you've internalized as well. Like Mm. it's really challenging day to day. I'm with you, (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you in the struggle. (laughs)
0: struggle is real <laughs> <laughs> how about you joel yeah. what's been your experiences and yeah your journey i guess
1: yeah well i was thinking um i i yeah i definitely resonate with that feeling of like that things are, are on the move and it's hard to pin down so i think i've been caught out a few times in my life where i try and pin down my gender identity and then it shifts. Mm-hmm. So um but you know, I was thinking like as a little child, I I was about five or six when a teacher suggested to my mum that I, I was trans. So I was always a very like gender non conforming child and I would always um often what would happen was my mum would put me in flowery dresses and send me to school and then I'd take the dresses off straight away and change into my shorts and t shirts and I'd go out playing football with the boys mm-hmm. and um So, and I also had a male name, um, for all of my childhood. So yeah, it was kind of, um, I always knew there was in a way I didn't fit gender wise. And, um, yeah, I was definitely bullied for being very sort of androgynous, I suppose. Mm. Um, but yeah, sort of in my late teens, I came out as a lesbian and, that somehow seemed to fit, like being gender nonconforming and androgynous and a lesbian seemed like that sort of fitted. And it was, what was it? Like the, maybe like late eighties, early nineties. Um, and then fast forward a lot to about 10 years ago. And I think maybe not even 10 years ago, maybe like seven or eight years ago, people seemed to out of nowhere have a word for me that fitted more, which was non-binary. So mm-hmm. I remember when I met my current partner um who I'm actually married to she said to me she they I should say said to me oh you seem to be more non-binary than you know any kind of I guess people were still calling me she then Mm. so then I took like pronouns they them I identified as non-binary for quite a long time um but I was around a lot of trans people and I think you know my own internalized transphobia was like Mm. I just didn't wanna identify more as like trans masculine, which is how I identify now. So yeah, it's been quite a a journey to kinda of get there. And then yeah, also during the pandemic, I guess I had more time and space on my own, away from society in a certain way, and all the judgments and mm-hmm. feeling self conscious about my gender. So that did enable me to then take steps to start taking hormones and have surgery. So the pandemic in some ways was really, really tough, but in other ways around my own gender identity, it definitely gave me space and time to really think what, what is it I really want? Um, Mm. and then yeah, come out more as a trans guy with like using he, him pronouns. So yeah, gender is definitely, I don't know whether this is where I'll stay, you know, Mm. it's, it's a more, I think about gender, the more I think it's quite a gender fluid kind of world Mm. Mm. and to be in the binary is not always a comfortable place for me. So while sometimes I say I'm a trans guy, sometimes I feel like I drift more into thinking of my own gender as non-binary. So, mm. but I think less people understand that as well. So it's also about gender being a relational thing, isn't it? It's mm. like not only what you feel inside yourself, but also in relationship with other people. Um, I'm curious to hear a bit about yours. Um.
2: I mean, what you what you said at the end, that like, I identify a lot with that and feel you know i identify as trans but there is there is fluidity in that i'd say like 80 percent of the time i'm like i'm a guy <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a trans man but then there are days when i'm like actually like neither gender label feels comfortable um so yeah i can definitely relate to that i think in terms of my journey um it's something that only i think it's something that i've always kind of felt and been aware of, but only relatively recently had any kind of language to like identify what these feelings and thoughts were and start to like process and actually label um, how I identify in terms of gender. And I think, you know, growing up, there just wasn't the space for that. Like also grew up up somewhere very rural. I didn't know what gay meant until I think I was about 16, never met a gay person, let alone a trans person. (laughs) Um, And there just definitely wasn't space in my childhood. It was very chaotic and, traumatic childhood so me kind of working out who I was my identity my sexuality didn't happen until I was in my 20s um and then the last few years it's kind of been this massive (laughs) uh you know snowball effect of kind of having the space to think about these things and realize different things and then slowly over time coming out about different things um but I'm very yeah, I feel very like happy and grateful to be at a point in my life now where I'm, I'm out to pretty much anyone <laughs> that mm. I have contact with. Um, and I do feel very confident, like understanding who I am. I think with the fluidity, it's more tricky to be like, well, how do I want to present? Because mm. I still, any anywhere I go, any space that I'm in, I'm instantly she herd. and people can really, really struggle to get my pronouns right because of how I look, how I sound, the body that I have, and that does my head in. So I'm like, I know I, I want that to change, but kind of working out, You know, but like what what do I want to do? Like that I find that really difficult. Because ideally I'd live in a world where I could look this way and people would be able to understand that I'm a he or I'm a they. Um, but we don't live in that world. (laughs) And I think that's something that I kind of battle with a lot at the moment.
0: I can really relate to what you're saying about presenting in the outside world or publicly, is I I really noticed it like I said, during the pandemic when I was I noticed it about the way I wanted to express my gender and I was looking at the, my wardrobe every single day for a long time, being like, this doesn't feel right. This isn't what I want to do. This isn't how I want to present my gender. But I was terrified to wear what I actually wanted to wear. And that's still to this day. Like, I go for the comfortable option that I know I won't get any funny looks with or I won't get any questions. Yeah. But with that, people then misgender you. And it's trying to find that balance for me of... How I want to present, but also just going for the easy option. Yeah, um, and I think that's something I have to deal with myself, um, trying to overcome that. And because it's all to do with other people's opinions, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't give a damn about what other people think. Yeah. Um, and when around other trans people and um, our communities, I feel like so empowered, and they celebrate that, and it's so beautiful. But it's the in betweens like going from home to get to that person or that group that yeah. is like, oh, what's going to happen?
2: Yeah.
0: Am I going to get harassed?
2: And it's another level, isn't it? You know, trans men and trans mm. women. And uh, I mean, I feel like since I started presenting more trans mask, typically trans mask, I've started to receive comments and issues with other people that I hadn't experienced before. And like, sometimes it makes me laugh, but like after someone just scream out their window at me, like, lesbian, and I'm just like, <laughs> I've never been further from a lesbian in my life, but okay, you do you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I feel like I, like how many issues I've had um, with strangers on the street since, you know, presenting the way I present now has escalated so quickly. And I just can't imagine how much harder that is mm. for trans femmes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, still it's a pretty sad situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, it
1: is. Yeah, I, I feel mm-hmm. quite sort of privileged in a way because having known quite a few trans women and yeah, the level of harassment sometimes that they receive on the street, particularly like maybe around like an early transition time. And, yeah. But, I, you know, I've noticed myself like being more in a transition myself in the pandemic because everybody's like wearing a face mask it's like helped me a lot. Like when I get used male toilets, often I wear a face mask and then that just takes all the misgendering Mm. or misreading out of it for me. So it's like, it has enabled me to sort of move in more male spaces and also be read as male, like much more often. Um, in fact, if I'm wearing a face mask, I've never ever read as female. So, um, it's kind of funny world that way. It's sort of like now we're taking our masks on and off and, Mm. um, yes, can feel a lot more hit and miss. And I suppose one one thing that I think is a big issue for all of us is like we've got our sense of identity. And then when you come into contact with the world, it's like you often feel misread, misunderstood. And Mm. I think a lot of people don't get the kind of um, the ouch moment when just using the wrong pronoun Mm. is... Well, I don't know how you, you folks feel about it. It's like, for me, it's like the, like a real ouch in my body. You know, I can yeah. kind of feel it somewhere in my torso, which is like, oh, something just really doesn't fit. And it's felt like that all my life. Um, but it's hard to describe that to people who don't mm. get that. You yeah. Know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you have any reflections about that as a one of the common issues that we're often mm. facing, I guess.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. It's, it's like a physical punch <laughs> anytime mm. you hear it and I hear it all the time there's only so many punches a day I can take Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. I think I find it worse as well I've gotten to the point now where I'm like there's there's little more I can do to my presentation to try and like help people use my correct pronouns Mm -hmm. there's it kind of in terms of like the clothes I wear binding haircuts that I have the the only other things I could do if I wanted to be read as male is surgery hormones Mm -hmm. and They're like, they're really big decisions. Um, Mm, And also accessing them. (laughs) Like I would be looking at five years and the thought of having to do another five years of misgendering in most spaces is really difficult, but Mm. like thank God for queer communities. And Mm. like you say, when you go into those spaces and Mm. people see you and celebrate you and affirm you and. Mm. Mm. That euphoria. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you feel that having worked in the job you currently have has helped you with your journey to all your identity because i think working with young people especially recently they they inspire me so much to live more authentically because they just are just fearless like they just it gives me so much hope for them um and they're fighters they are vocal they speak up they talk about these issues within politics, within, uh, from a medical side of things, they, they're not afraid to use their voices. And I love that. And mm. it makes me want to use mine more. Mm. So how do either of you feel like your work's informed your personal journey at all?
2: Mm. Yeah, 100%. I remember my, it's the first youth group I did here. It was actually my first day. And then I went and shadowed um, the youth, one of the youth groups that I now lead. And I walked into this room and, like honestly these young people just absolutely blew my like blew me away i was almost crying at the end of the session so i was like this is incredible they were all just like they ju- they were just like F- the gender rules sorry <laughs> 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 they, were <just> like, <laughs> they were just just none of them conformed to any of it like there were trans guys in there with makeup and dresses there were trans women and like you know the skater boy looks and it was just like incredible to see how these young people are presenting themselves mm. and just the amount of freedom mm. and like not letting like gender labels and like stuff like restrict them or their presentation um i just feel like they're like so many years ahead of me in some ways um mm. in how they, like they're living and yeah like their bravery and everything it's like honestly working with these young people has definitely had a massive impact positive impact on me like as a trans person as well
0: how about you joel
1: well you know i don't have the good fortune of working with young people that much mm. so <laughs> but i was thinking um yeah i when i came to metro um one of the things we did um as a staff team was we this is like four or five years ago we would go around and say our name and our pronouns in the full staff team meeting mm. and i remember my first meeting i was sitting there and i was going to be one of the last people to check in and it was that moment of time where i thought at the time i identified as non-binary and they then pronouns And I thought, oh, is this the time where I'm going to come out to everybody? So it was like within the first week or something. But thankfully, when we went around the room, there was like about 50 people in the room, at least two or three other people identified as non-binary used they, them pronouns. So I felt like, oh, it's a safe space to Mm. also come out in that space. But I think I can't honestly say if nobody else had identified that way that I would have come out that day. But then to me, it felt like um, a fairly supportive space to be non-binary. And then more recently coming out of as um, a trans guy, um, I can honestly say it's been a really supportive place um, Mm -hmm. to work. And because I work generally in sexual health and HIV and mental health, um, like external colleagues as well have like been massively supportive. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things I did when I changed my name and my pronouns, was I, like, emailed about, I don't know, 300 people or something. (laughs) And I got so many, like, messages of support. It was, like, so affirming. Um, But my favourite ever work meeting was I was at a meeting of our young Greenwich partners and our partners from Charlton Athletic Charitable Trust and um, Oxleys. Big shout out to them. When. When it was like time for any other business, uh, my boss, Andrew had said, oh, you, I think you should just definitely tell people what your name <laughs> and pronouns are now. So I put it on any other business. And when I shared that with people, um, some of the people in the room, like literally like started clapping and like applauding me <laughs> and they were like, just so happy for me. And I thought I was really touched, mm-hmm. you know, cause, um, just to get such an affirming response from people, um who I work with fairly regularly, but didn't know that well, I thought, oh, something's really changing here. Like society wise, um, you know, I thought, oh, this issue touches people. Mm. And a lot of people, you know, when you read in the press and the media, you can just think, in a way you can think everybody hates us. You know, if you were to read just what is written about us in the press, a bit like what was written about gay people in the 80s or what is written about asylum seekers now, you know, it's Mm. like, but actually, when you actually talk to actual in real life people, mm. people are often really supportive. They're mm. really generous. You know, they're really affirming. So, and that's definitely been my experience sort of working at Metro and doing the work that I do. Mm. But I don't take it for granted. I, you know, I feel hugely privileged that I felt confident enough to share my gender identity at work and, you know, be, be able to do that. So, mm. you know, I definitely feel like that's partly my Metro colleagues who've allowed mm. me the space to do that as well so i definitely see it as like a co-created space that we have here mm. to be as inclusive as we can so yeah it's been massively supportive for me
0: mm. i definitely agree with that i think when i look back at other jobs i've had this is the most diverse celebratory space that i've mm. ever worked in and it really those relationships with colleagues that then often become friends outside of work it really it really uplifts you and it, it encourages you to not be ashamed of anything or want to hide anything away it yeah it makes you want to be open and have those conversations and know they're going to be respected mm. um i think it's really important for sure
2: yeah
0: mm-hmm. because it's working in an inspirational workplace <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is it's
2: the first workplace that i have used he pronouns as well as they them pronouns Mm -hmm. and i think it took me a couple of weeks i didn't put it on my email signature straight away i was like i need to i'm gonna you know suss things out a bit Hmm. see see how it is but then it was very obvious like very quickly like this is a very safe space Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. trans Mm -hmm. um weirdly i remember reading through the policy as well actually because there's a a trans-inclusion policy and I think people roll their eyes at like, oh policy like blah, blah. it's so important it's mm. like this is a thing in place that kind of protects <laughs> mm. <laughs> that was really helpful as well actually reading through that
0: mm. I think it, it's really interesting touching on the policies and um, if I escalate that to more official politics mm. keeping on the peas mm. um, like you said every single day in the media I think it's a two-way thing because in the media, we're obviously seeing a lot more trans representation and trans-led mm, mm. projects and culture, and it's amazing to see that and to mm. see ourselves represented within that. Yeah. Um, but with that, on the flip side comes, again, all the negative articles, the negative comments, the the abuse, the hatred, um, and that can come from media or even our own government at times or well-known figures within society. And I just wonder whether, yeah, any comments about what is currently going on and I don't know, what would you like to see change or what is, if we could move a magic wand and tomorrow everything would be better, what would you hope to see?
1: I think, I think I'd like to see young people running the country Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, I do, I think it's a generational thing. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the time when I've been around young people, the first question they ask me is like, what are your pronouns? Just because they ask everybody what their pronouns are Mm -hmm. first. Um, And also I think, you know, young people have a different approach to diversity in general, Mm. like, you know, whether they're black or brown or disabled or, you know, queer or gay or whatever. It, it's like, yeah, I just, I just feel like um, the future is a country which is just much more also open to talking about feelings mm. and interested in people's kind of backgrounds and diverse experiences. Mm. And, you know, when I think about like my generation, more like generation X, it's, it's like still very awkward some of the you know to talk about being trans you can Mm -hmm. tell because we've grown up with really negative messages and Mm -hmm. so i kind of think like you know with young people these days hopefully there's that sense of like that the messages are a bit more positive Mm -hmm. and then of course you know in a way your whole mindset changes when you think about you know trying it being great to be trans and be authentically you and Mm -hmm. who you are Mm -hmm. um but i definitely feel quite self-conscious around when I read the newspaper headlines around politics and Mm. some of particularly like politicians views about Mm. us, I have to remember there are a significant number of politicians who really support us actually, Mm. because you don't always hear from them. Um, and I, you know, I think, yeah, I I just feel like hopefully we're moving to a more inclusive society rather than Mm. it's horrible to think you might move backwards around equality, isn't it? But, you know, we're reading some things in the news at the moment that, like maybe trans people will be taken out of the Equality Act. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's. Um, I think one thing that keeps me going is, you know, having done a lot of work with particularly people living with HIV over the years to see how much, you know, HIV was kind of vilified in the sort of 80s and 90s. And although mm. it's a really can be highly stigmatized now, I think we've come such a long way. And, you know, I'm so proud of, the people i know who come out about living with hiv openly mm. and um so everything changes you know i think like as you say adam like m- more and more of us are coming out and mm. saying how it is and talking to people openly and um so i think often you have to rem- sort of remember that as well and mm. you know there's i think there's one trans member of parliament right now mm. so <laughs> mm-hmm. hopefully there'll be more yeah i <laughs> hope so yeah
0: i think What I would love to see right now, obviously, in our government, we've been through quite a turbulent time recently, (laughs) with a lot of changes and a lot of uh, leaders within our country. And obviously, this year we've seen a not fully inclusive ban on conversion therapy. And obviously, as Metro, we've been standing with countless other organisations across the country to make sure we get a fully trans-inclusive ban on these therapies. I'm doing inverted commas there, <laughs> if that isn't obvious in my voice. Um, I think, I I really hope that this new government that have come in start hitting the ground running by delivering that fully inclusive ban mm-hmm. to protect everybody. And that people don't aren't subjected to this anymore. Do you have any views at all on... Um,
2: just all needs to change, doesn't it? Yeah. Just change everything, <laughs> change it all. <laughs> Press the reset button. <laughs> I,
1: think, I think also people don't realize in a way, like, wait, cause we were chatting a bit before the podcast started about the Gender Recognition Act. And, mm. you know, so that's like a process by which trans and non-binary people can, you know, get a certificate that basically recognizes their gender. And um, that means you can change your birth certificate. So you can do things like when you have a funeral, you do not have to register yourself as your old name, Mm. you know, your dead name. So that's just basic sort of dignity for Mm. us. And the fact that it's quite difficult to get that certificate and it costs a lot of money and you have to have all this paperwork and, Mm. um, you know, Scotland at the moment is doing, you know, a change in that. Mm. And, you know, people don't take lightly changing their name, changing their gender Mm. and, But you'd think that everybody wants to do that if you read the media, (laughs) but it is just, we are a really small section of society and just have simple laws that help us do these very basic things Mm. that are, they are quite like fiddly and time consuming, but, you know, they just ensure the basic rights that we Mm. need. Um, You know, I'd like to just see that whole process simplified um, and also having a process where... You need an official gender di- dysphoria diagnosis yeah. from an official psychiatrist, basically, before you can access like any gender affirming care. It's, it's not the way they do it, for example, in the United States. You know, mm. in the United States, you usually see a therapist who's not a psychiatrist. You know, it doesn't have to be so like heavy duty. And you talk about your gender often with a therapist. And then immediately, you know, as soon as you want gender affirming health care, you can then go about getting that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we won't talk about how you get that in the States and like, you know, whether that's free on your insurance or not. Yeah. But here it's it seems unnecessarily bureaucratic. Mm-hmm. Like M said it could take years and years and years to access gender affirming healthcare, which yeah, is because partly because you have to go through all these hoops of seeing a psychiatrist, often two times. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it just seems very, well, it is very outdated, and a lot of European countries don't have this level of sort of the outdated system there. So, uh, you know, when you work with young people as well, you just sort of think, oh, you know, everything could be so much easier. Yeah. And why do we want to create such huge barriers for people, you know, essentially to just live more comfortably, you know. Mm. Um, so, of course, we need healthcare. care. We need people looking after us, but we don't need Like the barrier of five years to access the healthcare we need and then have super sign-offs from highly, you know, kind of qualified people in terms of like lots of people are qualified to work with us. You don't, Mm. you don't need to be, yeah, in the, in the sort of a system, like what, how it's set up at the Mm. moment. So I'd love to see that change as well.
0: Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the waiting times for gender affirming care is, is something that really concerns me as well. And especially working with young people, like it's really, really difficult to not try and think of what other options you have and what other routes you can take that Mm. mean you aren't getting healthcare (laughs) Mm. um and as yeah i I haven't read into it in too much depth but i believe like the most recent changes the gender identity clinics have kind of made it less accessible as well longer waiting lists less Mm. people able to Mm. actually get onto waiting lists Mm. and be referred Mm. and Mm. it's it is worrying because it is you know this kind of care like yeah genuinely does save lives yeah (laughs) it does and also Um, it's
1: I mean, in a way, the way I see it is like, you know, you've got a problem, you get some treatment and it's got something like 97% like um, success mm. rate trans healthcare. Yeah. So getting the medical support we need, I don't think any other medical care has this level of. Um, satisfaction yeah. mm. survey you know rate yeah. so if like 97% of people are happy when they get that gender affirming care mm. it doesn't seem particularly controversial to me to make it more readily available for Absolutely. those that need it and, yeah. and we are quite a small number of people mm. so. yeah, yeah.
2: Mm. and it seems like the only, we only hear about the 3% that aren't happy exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing we hear about in the media yeah. and from
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it's just like listen to us listen to what the communities are telling you um and what their experiences are and often I feel like they're just overlooked and like you said we focus on those few opposites those few negative experiences or um we focus on the wrong things um and I think that leads me on to well what I think will be one of our final questions that it's a loaded question I'll say that what does (laughs) equality mean to you we talked a lot about what we hope for um the current government or what we'd like to see um, at the moment. But what does equality mean to you?
2: I think for me, in order, in order for us to see equality, we need to really shake up the way that things are currently currently set. I don't mm-hmm. think equality is everyone having the exact same amount of space and time and support mm-hmm. because everyone needs very different levels of, of space and time and support, I think in order for us to kind of have equality and see equality, like we need to be giving more of that time and space to people who who, who need it more, people who mm. struggle more, um, and that has to be intersectional. If we ju- if I think if we look at equality as like oh everyone has to be allocated the same the same amount, we're going to end up not having equality. It needs mm. to be a complete reshuffle. Mm.
0: Um, I had a conversation with somebody recently. Um, I like the idea of a reshuffle and someone said, I said it, what do you do if you get stuck in a rut like when you don't know what to do? And they said, I do something completely different. And I think that really resonates with what you said about just completely shaking things up. Mm. Let's put our young people in charge. Literally, this is it. It was that young person (laughs) isn't it to me. And I was like, that makes so much sense. You should be running the country, literally. change
2: it all up. Put the adults back in school,
1: yeah? Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: Swap it around.
1: (laughs) And I think think what we see, you know, I was thinking of... um, the adults that we provide services to, mm. you know, often they have had a really difficult start in life. Um, you know, they're really impacted by poor mental health. Mm. Um, they can't always sort of make the choices they want to make. You know, they're not supported by our education system. They're not mm. supported by um, the healthcare system. So, yeah, there's a lot to change on the sort of structural level. Mm. I think to help people with diverse identities feel like you know they can be more open at school Mm -hmm. or in college or you know at the doctor's surgery um so you know i i think you know if our sort of service users that we work with if they felt that they say weren't going to experience racism when they go to the gps Mm -hmm. um or that we actually taught about say um you know black history in schools or that we talk we taught about trans pioneers Mm. in schools, then often we'd grow up with better mental health Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we wouldn't necessarily need services like Metro Mm -hmm. to support us. So I think equality for me means that we have more of a level playing field. And, you know, I, I feel very privileged in my position, you know, in a way I want everyone to feel like they had like a privileged Mm. (laughs) environment to kind of grow up in and, Mm. you know, a privileged world to live in, in Mm. terms of that they felt, you know, loved and supported and affirmed. But I think that's what equality would mean for me, that somehow in our hearts and minds, we knew that somehow together as human beings, we were just like taking each other in, you know, Mm. we were able to be kind and supportive rather than reactive and, you know, exclusionary. Mm. So. Yeah, it's just a small wish for the world, you know. <laughs> just a little one. <laughs> but yeah, I think we see it often in little micro steps with the programs we run. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, people often feel so much happier when they've come to a group of ours or they've met somebody one to one because the isolation that they experience through being marginalized is just lessened and, mm-hmm. you know, they're affirmed for who they are. Um, And then, yeah, it's just slightly easier to go out there again, isn't it? And mm-hmm. be in relationship with people. So, but I don't really want that world. I want us all to feel like we can just be together and yeah. feel affirmed and confident and not isolated. So. Yeah, we got we got some work to do. I don't think Metro's going to be out of a job for <laughs> you know, quite a long time. Yeah, but that's, that's it. ultimately what I would like to see happen, is that mm.
2: Metro yeah. doesn't need
1: to be here. You know? Yeah,
0: mm. yeah, world where, yeah, we don't know those services anymore.
2: Yeah, I we think. didn't need to carve out safe spaces for our LGBTQ people because mm. the world was a safe space for them. That would be so nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
0: think just to wrap up what you were talking about, talking about pioneers, teaching that in schools, I think, for me, equality is I often look back at I like looking back in our queer history books and I think back to all the trans and non-binary and gender diverse people and pioneers and moments that has led us to this week. Um, mm. And the equality wasn't there for them uh, by any means, mm. and it still isn't for us so many people in this world. And I think for me, I. I try to remind myself that everyone is a human being and we have to approach that first and foremost that everyone is human mm. and that it's, like you said, individual to each person what equality might look like. um But for me, yeah, I just wish people were more kind. I wish we mm. could, everyone gave each other an equal chance. Mm. And um, yeah. It's, Apart from that, I don't know what to say. (laughs) Just everyone be kind. Be kind and celebrate uh, LGBTQ plus people and queer youth uh, (laughs) is my final message, I think. (laughs) Um, But yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We hope you enjoyed that. Um, Happy Trans Awareness Week. Uh, I've been Adam.
2: Oh, (laughs) I've (laughs) been (laughs) Ems. Just for this podcast.
0: And I've been Joel. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Happy Trans Awareness Week.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Metro's podcast on Equalities. Please join us to continue the conversation online by following us at Metro Charity on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can subscribe to our podcast series on your preferred podcast app. To find out more about our services, please visit our website, metrocharity.org.uk.